0: Hello, and welcome to this week's edition of our We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Corey Geiger here. We got a lot to get to in our podcast. And I want to say, as always, really appreciate everybody tuning into these podcasts. We have a lot of fun doing these. I know I do. I host a daily radio show in Altoona, uh, but I really, that's really kind of a mixed bag sports talk show, talking Pirates, Steelers, Penguins, Penn State, some high school. What I enjoy about this podcast is, you know, it's just all Penn State every week. We get to spend 30, 45 minutes just breaking down in depth some key Penn State topics, and I, I really appreciate being able to do this every week. And I really appreciate everyone tuning in. Now, I, before we get to this week's Penn State discussion, I do want to mention uh, some news personally here for me on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. This is something I'm really excited about and I something I think that a lot of you will really enjoy, a project I've been working on that I hope to be able to debut here In the next couple of weeks, we don't have a firm date on it yet, but what it is, I'm going to be doing a new podcast series called Memory Lane, where I catch up with Pittsburgh stars of the past and let them tell their stories, their favorite memories, uh, that sort of thing. We already did one with Rocky Blyer, the Steelers legend. Um, I've already recorded that one. That one uh, will run here soon. We're trying to get several of these lined up um, first before we launch the series, so that we make sure we've got enough. It's going to be the plan is to do one a week, but we're going to rotate. We'll do some Steelers, Pirates, Penguins. I'll throw in a Penn State one, a Pitt one as well. Um, I want to reach out to a lot of uh, guys who have terrific stories, uh, no matter what sport they play. Nobody's got a better story than Rocky Blyer, so I'm really looking forward to uh, airing that one. I had a great discussion with Rocky, but I've got contact information for a lot of former Um, Steelers and Penguins players. I'm looking for a lot of former Pirates players and I really think folks are going to enjoy that podcast. Again, it's called Memory Lane uh, so you can be on the lookout for it and as of now, the plan will be on Wednesdays we will release these. The idea behind this podcast was the podcast network here at DK Pittsburgh Sports is just sensational. It's sensational. If you want to stay on top of all of the current events uh, of your favorite team, you need to be listening to these podcasts that we have here on the network. Uh, DK does his daily shots of Pirates, Steelers, and Penguins, and then we've got all kinds of other ones on the Steelers, Penguins, uh, Pitt, Penn State, the Pirates. There's so much good information about the current teams. What I wanted to do, and what I've always found really interesting in sports, is taking a look back, and hearing from some of our favorite stars. And that's one thing, as I looked over the podcasting network, um, we, we didn't really have a lot of uh, voices from the past in, in terms of guys 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago even. And, I, and really, there's no, um, there's no limit or scope to what we can do. Uh, with this new Memory Lane podcast. It's just, I hope that a lot of folks will be able to take part. I've got a bunch of names. I'll reach out to these to these folks, and hopefully a lot of them will take part telling their favorite stories. But that is something I'm really excited about. I've done radio for about 12 years. I've interviewed a lot of these guys on my radio show before. Andy Van Slyke, Jay Bell, uh, Jason Kendall, Rocky Blyer, Jerome Bettis, you know, if we can get some of these guys, and, and I'm sure there will be women as well with great Pittsburgh stories to tell their stories in podcast form, the, you know, the kind of the goal is they'll be timeless. We'll introduce one a week, hopefully, um, and you can listen to them at any point. There's, you know, they're, they're, they won't really be overly timely or newsworthy. I'll try to, uh, we'll, you know, hopefully get, uh, to where we can release, when in, during baseball season, we can release more baseball ones. Uh, when it's Steelers season, we can release more Steelers or, or hockey with the Penguins or what have you. And again, there will be some Penn State and Pitt um, to, uh, podcasts in there as well. But be on the lookout for that. It's called Memory Lane. The goal will be within two or three weeks, we will try to uh, introduce that podcast. I'm, I'm I'm still lining up as many of these Uh, as we can. If I can get five or six recorded here, I do hope people will really enjoy that. If we have to go, you know, once a month with it, uh, that that wouldn't, that's not the the goal or the hope. Hopefully we can be one a week. But again, as I mentioned, I just want to thank everybody for tuning into this weekly Penn State podcast, because Typically during the season, there's tons and tons and tons of stuff to talk about. It gets a little slower during the offseason, of course. So what we're going to do today, I'm going to take a break here. And coming up in our second segment, we're going to get into uh, the Big Ten, how the Big Ten fared in the NCAA basketball tournament I'll sit here and tell you that the league got exposed after getting nine teams into the tournament, only two to the Sweet 16, zero to the Elite Eight. So we'll talk about that coming up in Segment 2. A little bit later on in Segment 3, we'll recap Penn State's Pro Day and the news of the week uh, involving the Nittany Lions. So we'll get into all that coming up here in just a few moments. Welcome back to the We Are Podcast here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Corey Geiger with you. We're going to spend this segment looking at the Big Ten basketball season and how the league fared in the NCAA tournament. And there's really only one way, only one word that we can use to describe the Big Ten's performance in the NCAA tournament, and that's disappointing. Now, was it to be expected Uh, And we're going to take a look at this from Penn State's perspective as well. But when you consider that the league got nine teams into the NCAA tournament and only two of them advanced to the Sweet 16, clearly uh, that is a, a very disappointing number. None of those teams, no team in the Big Ten, reached the Elite Eight. Now, look. I've said this for a long time. Winning the NCAA tournament is not about finding the best team in the country. It simply is not. Nobody in their right mind would tell you that St. Peter's is a better team than a whole bunch of teams that were eliminated before St. Peter's. St. Peter's made it further than Gonzaga and Arizona And Baylor, these were number one seats. Is St. Peter's a better team than those? No. The NCAA tournament is about winning games in a row. You try to win six games in a row, survive in advance. It doesn't matter who you beat. It's not about facing the biggest gauntlet of teams. The NCAA tournament is about what matchup do you have specifically in front of you, and can you win that game. So St. Peter's uh, getting to the Elite Eight, s- a sensational story, uh, something that if you're a huge college basketball fan, you'll always remember. St. Peter's, what was the first 15 seed to get to the Elite Eight? Well, it was St. Peter's. Okay, but backtracking from a Big Ten's perspective, when you have nine teams get in and only two make it to the Sweet 16, look, you only got to win two games to get to the Sweet 16. And while that is difficult, it's difficult to win any game in the NCAA tournament. You got to have more than two teams get to the sweet 16 when you are considered generally the best and deepest conference in college basketball. But what I want to discuss about the Big 10 this year is, is really best and deepest. What makes the Big 10 difficult? And it's, it's like this in football too. So if you're a football fan of the league, y- you know this to be true. Every game in the Big Ten in basketball is a challenge. And that's what makes for a really difficult league. When you're, when you go to Northwestern, you're going to get a tough game. Even Nebraska. Now, Nebraska had a disastrous year, but generally speaking, you go to Nebraska, you're going to get a tough game. Penn State has never been a major factor, uh, in, in, the nation in college basketball. But if you come to the Jordan center, Penn state can beat you no matter who you are. Uh, there have been several instances where Penn state has beaten top five teams in the country at the Jordan center uh, over the past decade. That's what makes the big 10 difficult is in any given year, basically just about any given team can, can win on it on a certain night, especially if they're playing at home. The difference with the big 10 this year there were no great teams. I thought at the beginning of the year, Purdue had a chance to be a great team. When when you know you, you take a look at what they had with Jaden Ivey. And, and Matt Painter, I think is a fantastic coach. When you looked at the beginning of the year and you thought, okay, which Big Ten team has a chance to get to a Final Four, maybe to win it all? What what is a team that we think could be uh, a, a great team? And really, it was it was kind of Purdue. and that was maybe it. Wisconsin uh, turned out to be really good. You know, Wisconsin's going to be good year in year. Iowa, Iowa surprised a lot of people. Iowa was not expected to necessarily be super strong this year. They wound up being good. Illinois, you knew with Kofi Coburn was going to be good Illinois lost nine games though, during the regular season. So when you take a look at the big ten, the problem is, I'm looking at the rankings going into the NCAA tournament. The highest ranked Big Ten team was 10th. 10th! That And that's a league that got nine teams into the tournament. So we have to look at this and say, should there have really been nine teams from the Big Ten in the NCAA tournament? Uh, you can certainly make a case for every team that made it, including like a Rutgers, you know, you can make a case for every team that made it, comparatively speaking, to other teams from around the country. I'm not going dis- to dismiss or diminish what any of those nine teams accomplished during the regular season. But what we knew about those nine teams is that none of them were great. Every single one of them was beatable on a given day. And again, that includes. Purdue, which was your best team, Michigan, really, you know, you can look and say, well, Michigan didn't necessarily deserve to be in the NCAA tournament. Uh, And I I don't really disagree with that based on their record. This was a highly disappointing season for Michigan. But (laughs) of those nine teams that got to the Sweet 16, Michigan was one of them. So, look, I'll give Michigan all the credit in the world. They finished 17 and 15 and they found a way to get in. Should they have gotten in? Highly, highly questionable. But then they do get to the Sweet 16, so you give Juwan Howard, you give the Wolverines credit, you're determined, you're, you're, you're judged based on how you do in the tournament, at least that's what I believe, and I'll get to more of that here in in a second. So if that's the case, Michigan going 17 and 15, highly disappointing, but they did get to the Sweet 16. Purdue, and Wisconsin ends up winning the league. Purdue Wisconsin won uh, the regular season, going 15-5, tied with Illinois. And, and yet Wisconsin uh, does not make it to the Sweet 16. They get bounced early by Colgate. Uh, And, look, Colgate is a good team. I'm a Syracuse fan. Not that Syracuse is great, but Colgate beat Syracuse earlier this year. But, no, you wouldn't expect Colgate to beat Wisconsin. Then you take a look at Illinois, and Illinois almost lost in its uh, first-round game to Chattanooga. They win that 54-53. Then they lose to Houston, and Houston is an outstanding team. But what I want to get back to with regards to the Big Ten is there were no great teams in the Big Ten this year. This was a down year for the Big Ten in terms of – the, the upper echelon teams. So what do you want in a league? Do you want a league where everybody is is challenging, everybody's pretty good? Or do you want a league that has two or three teams that you think have a chance to get to the Final Four? And look, folks, it's been 22 years. There has not been a Big Ten team win a national title since Tom Izzo's Michigan State team won it back in 2000. Twenty-two Years. It's hard to even fathom that when, you know, most years we'll tend to think of the Big Ten as the best conference. So again, it gets back to is the Big Ten the best conference because they have the handful of best teams or is it the best conference because the teams are deeper? Again, when I tell you that no team in the Big Ten was ranked higher than number 10 going into the tournament, that should, you know, clearly indicate that. It's not the best league in terms of having the best teams. So the, the, the benefit for a, a Penn State being in the Big Ten is we've always said this. All Penn State, and I say all, I say all like this is an easy thing to do. All Penn State has to do is finish like seventh in the Big Ten. You know? That that's really that's really the bottom line. If Penn State could finish seventh in the Big Ten, <laughs> and they were 12th this year so again i i I cannot stress enough how difficult it is doing what i'm saying because it it just simply is but if penn state can finish seventh in the big 10 that's a trip to the ncaa tournament that's a trip to the ncaa tournament most years but the problem is let's see here's the big 10 standing this year wisconsin illinois purdue iowa ohio state fifth Rutgers sixth. They, they, some of these teams tied. Michigan State and Michigan tied for seventh. Those teams all get in, and then and then Indiana uh, gets in at, 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 at number, as the ninth team with a nine and eleven record. So there's your nine teams. And Penn State beat some of those teams, but the the difference between finishing twelfth as Penn State did with a seven and thirteen record and finishing even seventh in a league like the Big Ten is so incredibly difficult simply because on every single night you're going to face a challenge. But I don't think there's any doubt that the Big Ten was exposed. I'm not going to throw out the word fraud here. I was kind of thinking back and forth. Do I do I want to say the Big Ten was a fraud this year? And no, I, I don't think so. Purdue's a good team. Wisconsin's a good team. Illinois is a good team. Iowa's a good team. There are a number of, of good teams in the Big Ten, but it was clear throughout the season there were no great teams in the Big Ten. And when Purdue lost to St. Peters, you know, it as a 13 point favorite, no less, we can take a look at that and we can say, Hey, you know, congratulations to St. Peters for, for a, a monumental upset and making history getting to the Elite Eight. But the bottom line is Purdue really. When all was said and done, Purdue was not as good as we – nowhere near as good as we thought. Purdue lost eight games. Eight games. And that's a team that was ranked number one in the country earlier this year. So, look, no question, Big Ten was exposed. Can Penn State find a way in the coming years with Micah Shrewsbury to move up and get in the middle of the pack on somewhat of a consistent basis? You hope, because being in the middle of the pack – That's good enough to get you to the tournament. We'll take a break here, come back in our final segment. Welcome back to our final segment here of the We Are podcast on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Penn State football held pro day on Thursday. A bunch of players taking part uh, in drills in front of NFL scouts. We'll touch on some of those guys and which guys we think could be um, the best NFL players from last year's Penn State team. And then also James Franklin spoke uh, we'll take a look at uh, what back at at uh, what he said during his uh, spring football preview press conference. I, I when I when I look back at uh, all these guys taking part in the Penn State Pro Day, you know, one thought that keeps coming to mind, and this is not really necessarily a good thing. I brought this up at the NFL Combine. Penn State had eight players. Selected to take part in the NFL Combine. Well, the team had seven wins last year, so you have more players in the at the Combine than you did wins. And then you know you take a look at the the pro day participants. Uh, some of them did really well. Jesse Lucchetta did well. Uh, Jahan Dotson caught the ball great. Um, Jaquan Brisker had a really strong performance. When when you think about the amount of talent that was in the Penn State football program over the past few years—I don't know. I mean, folks, I'm—I'm I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here or, or, or be overly negative, but to me, the combine and Pro Day uh, are are really just eye-opening because they make you think back of how in the world did Penn State go seven and six last year? and then four and five the year before. There was, there was a ton of individual talent. Ja, you know, Jaquan Brisker is an All-American. Arnold Ebicady, an All-American. Jahan Dotson, one of the best receivers in school history. And so, you know, not to belabor the point, but I do think it's a, a very valid point of when you've got that much talent and you're going four and five and then seven and six, the question of how and why comes up. All right, so when we take a look at at, at a lot of the, the these talented players, which one of these guys will be the best pro? All right, you know, when we're considering Arnold Ebicady, Jahan Dodson, Jaquan Brisker, Jesse Lucada, Jordan Stout. We've got to throw Jordan. You can't overlook the punter. All right, let, let me start with Jordan Stout. He is not my answer. He is not my answer. as to which of these Penn State players will be the best pro. But I think Jordan Stout will be a starter in the NFL for a decade or more. Jordan Stout has a tremendous leg. Uh, I always love this about Blake Gillikin. I think Blake Gillikin's going to be a starter in the NFL for a long time. Uh, w- but when I consider, you know, all these players, and you think, okay, wh- what does best mean? Does best mean you put up the, the biggest numbers? You make the Pro Bowls? Tremendous NFL success? Sure, all, all that stuff is important. I think I think Jordan Stout could end up being uh, a longer starter. than any of these other players. I mean, when, when you think, okay, which one of these guys could start for 10 years in the NFL? Um, the list might, might end with Jordan Stout because it's so freaking hard to start for 10 years in the NFL. So I, I love Jordan Stout. Uh, he had to do some holding, uh, at pro day. He didn't kick, but, um, teams wanted to see if he could hold, so uh he he did work on that for some scouts. When I think of the one player who could be the best of all of these Penn State players at the NFL level, I'm going to choose Jaquan Brisker. Uh here an uh, all-American safety, big hitter, terrific in run support. Um, I, you know, Jaquan's probably going to go early second round. I don't think he's going to be able to get into the, to the first round, but early second round, what I, he had a a vertical leap of 38 and a half inches, ran a four, four, 40 yard dash. You, You can certainly help yourself clearly at, uh, at. At pro day, there, there's no question. And you, and you can hurt yourself if you go out out and you don't necessarily perform well. You you can indeed hurt yourself. But I would say that uh, Brisker certainly helped himself. And uh, you consider uh, his athletic ability, the success he had in college, pro football focus, take that for what it's worth, um, had all kinds of metrics showing Briskers just a tremendous uh, uh, success in college with uh, uh, you know run support how he re- really never gave up much through the air as a safety as well so of all the guys on this team you can you can agree with me or disagree leave a comment here shoot me an email one way or another but of all the guys on the Penn State uh, team over the past couple of years I look and I'm I'm gonna say Jaquan Brisker, has a chance to be the best out of all of these guys. Now, I love Jahan Dotson as a college receiver. I'm not sure Jahan Dotson is ever going to be, well, you know, I'm a little cautious before I say this. I was going to say that I'm not sure he'll ever be a superstar receiver in the NFL, but what determines superstar receiver in the NFL? 100 catches uh, Chris Godwin, Chris Godwin, is he a superstar? Maybe not. Maybe not a superstar, but he has won a Super Bowl, uh, and he's the franchise player now for the the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, and Chris Godwin is absolutely an outstanding receiver. He has, I'm looking this up, he is career-high receptions last year was 96. Is he a superstar? Probably not, but he is an outstanding receiver in the NFL. Can Jahan Dotson be another Chris Godwin? Can he be another Allen, Allen Robinson? I, and yeah, I think so. I mean, there was a time where Allen Robinson was one of the elite receivers in the NFL. He, his numbers dropped off last year with the Bears. But can Jahan Dotson be an Allen Robinson kind of guy? Sure, uh, I think so. I mean, I, Jahan has phenomenal hands, runs in the four three and a half range. He's not the b- biggest, tallest guy, but he does... Uh, have the the vertical leap. He's got the speed. He's got the hands. And here's the one thing that, uh, see, see Godwin, Godwin had unbelievable hands in college, making all the 50-50 catches and the circus catches. I don't think John Dotson is quite necessarily Chris Godwin when it comes to that. Uh, Godwin had as good a 50-50 ball skills as really you'll ever see. But, Jahan Dotson is a tremendous route runner. Now, is he as good of a route runner as Allen Robinson? That's really what has separated Allen Robinson at the NFL level. He is just an amazing route runner, and he never ever drops a ball. I mean, there—I don't know if the streak is still intact, but Allen Robinson went, you know, a couple of years, he went more than a year without dropping a ball, I believe, at the NFL level. So, can Jahan Dotson be a mixture of Chris Godwin and Allen Robinson? Um, and, and and be a guy that can catch 90 to 100 passes or more at the NFL level? Uh, sure. I mean, I certainly think he could be. As we take a look at uh, some other guys uh, from Pro Day and the Combine who could wind up being really good NFL players, one name, and I <laughs> – look, this this is a guy that is just going to surprise some people because he – Certainly had a very disappointing final year at Penn State. I've written about him. If you can guess who I'm going to say, I'll give you a couple seconds of leeway here. But one guy that certainly has the physical ability, the physical skills, to be a really good player in the NFL, it's Rasheed Walker. When you're 6'6", 324 pounds, and look, folks, I know you're saying, Geiger, your Rasheed Walker ain't all that good. He wasn't all that good in college. I just keep going back to Donovan Smith. I was writing stories Donovan Smith's final year at Penn State seven years ago or whatever, and and about how you know he he was not uh, he didn't live up to the expectations his final year at Penn State. He wasn't dominant. It was a bad offensive line. So you know it's you know and Donovan Smith is a mainstay at left tackle for the Tampa Bay. Buccaneers and won a Super Bowl as well. Can Rasheed Walker be Donovan Smith? Look, I don't know. I don't know that he's going to be that. But folks, when you're 6'6", 324, you can't teach that, okay? You can't teach being that big. When you are that big, as long as the person is willing to learn and capable of learning, you can teach him the technique of what it takes to succeed at the NFL level, uh, and so again, at six six three twenty four. If Rasheed Walker, I think, will probably go about the third round. If if not, maybe somebody takes a flyer on him in the second round. That would not be a huge surprise, but I could see Rasheed Walker having a uh, a, a really strong um, career in the NFL. Maybe not necessarily a star, but those of you out there say, ah, he wasn't all that good in college. Look. Uh, he, he, he. with that size, he'll have a chance to be really good. As we wrap up here on the podcast this week, I want to get into uh, the defense and Manny Diaz for the Penn State football team going forward. James Franklin talked about this um, during his spring football press conference. He, he says, quote, Going into the spring, the biggest adjustment Is with Manny Diaz as our defensive coordinator. I think that's gone extremely well. I think the adjustment has been really good. End quote. When we talk about adjustment, I wrote about this on the site throughout the week. When we talk about adjustment, we're talking about really the bend but don't break style that Penn State has really played for a long time. I started covering Penn State about 20 years, close to 20 years ago. Tom Bradley. Played this bend but don't break style. The uh, the cornerbacks would play seven yards off the receiver. Even on third and three, the cornerbacks were seven yards off the receiver. They would basically give them the little quick bubble catches, uh, and then they were going to stop them right there. And that philosophy, you know, even through different coaches, Bill O'Brien, uh, James Franklin, different defensive coordinators, we've still kind of seen that. So I don't know that it's necessarily a Penn State thing in as much as maybe this is just something that defensive coordinators like to do. They like to fall back on. We'll give you yards between the 20s. But once you start to get to the red zone or close to the red zone, we're going to buckle up. We're going to toughen up and we're going to take it away from you. And Brent Price defense is... Did a lot of that bend, but don't break stuff. I don't like that particular style. You can be successful with it. In fact, the New England Patriots, they do a lot of that and have done a lot of that traditionally during their Super Bowl years. They would give up a lot of yards. They just wouldn't give up a lot of touchdowns. And then Tom Brady would come back and score touchdowns. So you could could never beat the Patriots kicking a lot of field goals. You had to score touchdowns, and Bill Belichick knew that. And so he, he was okay giving up yardage and giving up field goals because he had Tom Brady back there. Well, the problem with Penn State is you got Sean Clifford back there. So you if you're going to be giving up a lot of a lot of yards and a lot of potential field goals and you don't have yourself an explosive offense aha you see what i'm talking about you see what i'm getting at if you don't have an offense that you know can go out and score 30 and you're also willing to give up a lot of yards and maybe some field goals you you just put more pressure on yourself you put more pressure on yourself offensively uh and 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 if you don't have that great quarterback that you know, hey, I give up a field goal, we're going to go score a touchdown. That's been a problem for Penn State the last couple years. So Brent Pry he followed suit. He played that bend-but-don't-break style. Brent Pry did a fantastic job at Penn State. Manny Diaz is going to come in. He wants to be more aggressive. Traditionally speaking, Manny Diaz's defense are more aggressive. They're more aggressive up front. They'll take some more quote-unquote risks. And when you do that, you have the potential to give up more big plays, explosive plays, quick scores. I cannot wait to see how Manny Diaz's tendencies and system and scheme play in a James Franklin off with in a James Franklin coach team. Because again, If you're taking risks and the opponent is able to catch you with some big plays, that puts more pressure on your offense to come right back out and get the big plays. And frankly, Penn State just has not had... The, the number of explosive plays that they want the past couple of years. And this clearly comes back to what can Sean Clifford do his final year next year. But that to me, as I look ahead of, of what we're going to be looking at going into next season, I, I think one of the biggest questions and most intriguing factors is going to be is James Franklin going to let Manny Diaz do what Manny Diaz wants to do playing a more aggressive style of defense. Will he let him do it the whole year? Well, it depends on if it works. If they're giving up a lot of big plays, I can certainly see James Franklin telling Manny Diaz, we got to pull this in a little bit. Uh, This isn't working. We're going to have to come back more to that bend-but-don't-break style. Then, can Manny Diaz be be as successful as he wants playing that bend-but-don't-break style? There's also the question of how long is Manny Diaz going to be at Penn State. I put the over-under at two and a half years. I will take the the under immediately on that because, to me, uh, he's already been a head coach at a major program, had some success at Miami. He's been a defensive coordinator. If Manny Diaz comes here and does a good job for two years, he's going to get a head coaching job somewhere else. So if he's only here two years, that would mean that Penn State's defense has probably done pretty well for those two years. But boy, I can't wait till we get into. Hey, look, and they start off at Purdue right off the bat, and Purdue is a pass happy program. They're going to be throwing the ball. How aggressive is Penn State going to be in that Manny Diaz defense against Purdue going out there for the season opener? Or could we see you know uh, him have to uh, resort more to that bend but don't break? That's the biggest adjustment that James Franklin said uh, the team will have faced this spring. And I think it's the biggest adjustment that the Penn State football program is going to have to face for as long as Manny Diaz is there all right folks that's going to wrap up our we are podcast for this week i want to thank everybody for tuning in once again be sure to look out at the website and the podcast here in the next couple of weeks as we hope to get our memory lane podcast series going uh, with some former pittsburgh stars i think you're really going to enjoy that and uh, we'll have hope to debut that here shortly on the dk pittsburgh sports podcasting network thanks for tuning in everybody